On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Stark again, final ball of the over to Fernando to a packed cordon. Straight through him, knocks him over. Stark gets five innings, ten for the match, and Australia wrap up the series. Two tests to zero. Australia by 366 runs. I think everyone has to, to a degree, earn their stripes. I think those two have got plenty plenty of runs in the bank, if you like. So, look, I see us going to the Ashes and, and them having a huge part in us winning the series. That's how I see um, how important they are to this team. We know how good they are. Yeah, and hopefully once their bands are up, they'll be welcome back and they'll win test matches like they did beforehand. So I'm happy now that we've got this out of the way and I can put everything into it because it's every every Australian cricketer can't wait to go and play an Ashes series and particularly in England. So um, it's something that I've I'm, I've certainly dreamed of as a kid. I didn't think I'd ever be going over as the captain, but yeah, in the back of my mind, I've been thinking about it. I've been watching England, keeping a really close eye on them. I can't wait to get over there. Uh, yeah, I'm really proud of the way that um, that we've gone about it. We spoke at the start of the summer about um, our main priority was to win back the respect of, of our Australian public and our cricket fans and you know, sitting here now I, I think we've, we've gone a long way to doing that, we've probably still got a little bit of work to do but I think you know, we're on the right track and yeah, I couldn't be prouder of the way our, our coaching staff, our support staff and our playing group have gone about things um, in some really difficult times and it's, in, it's in these difficult times that you see the sort of characters that you've got in your group and it's confirmed to us that we've got some really good characters, some really strong characters and and some people that we can build a really strong Australian cricket future um, on. Look, honestly, we were quite disappointed with the way we played in India. We didn't think we played played against India. Uh, I think the two differences between the two series were uh, our ability to bowl as a group against India wasn't quite there at times, whether it's because Virat and, and Pajara out, uh, were too, more patient than us and allowed forced our bowlers out of their um, plans, but I thought the way we turned it around in this series, there was a real focus again on, on bowling for each other and, and playing cricket as um, as a team. Obviously you need individual performances to win moments, um, but overall I think you know the stronger our team can be and the more we can play for each other. You know Whether this, this series was Sri Lanka or India or Sri Lanka, if we had played the way we played in these last two test matches, we think we can beat anyone in the world and the focus was on uh, us playing as a team. So um, we've got to keep driving that home. Hello everyone and welcome to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast brought to you by News Corp. I'm your host Andrew Mensel and that was Tim Payne speaking after Australia's test victory at Manuka Oval winning the series 2-0 against Sri Lanka, a very relieved Tim Payne. And in today's episode I've got Ben Horn on the line from the Daily Telegraph. Ben, how are you? Very well, thanks, Manus. Good to have you back. You're the opener for this podcast. And then the, then to close it off, I've got Australia's new secret weapon, New South Wales bowling coach Andre Adams, who, who Patterson and Stark both referred to as, as being helpful. So that's to come. Uh, that'll be interesting, won't it, Ben? 
Yeah, I mean, he uh, seems to have had a big influence since he started at New South Wales. And, yeah, Mitchell Stark is, you know, it's a big one. He was sort of the talking point of the summer, I suppose, um, how he was struggling with his form. So, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to, to hear the chat. Now, uh, let, let's start off with what Tim Payne said after the test. He was pretty unequivocal that Steve Smith and David Warner are coming back into the test side for the Ashes sort of unless they, the injuries stop them. But, you know, he was pretty clear about that. Oh, yeah, he couldn't have been any more clear. I mean, to be honest, he was he was almost as clear back at, um, after Boxing Day when they lost at the MCG. So his position's been pretty consistent the whole way through. You know, originally there was some speculation that perhaps, you know, cultural uh, considerations within the dressing room would have to be taken into consideration with Smith and Warner, but... A lot of that talk seems to have gone now. And, um, yeah, as you said, really the only question seems to be their fitness. Dave Warner's injury is less serious than Steve Smith, but perhaps some slight worries about uh, when Steve Smith can get on the field and uh, whether he can get enough cricket under his belt before the World Cup. Yeah, that is a concern. Uh, I guess um, with with Tim Payne's thinking, I mean, there was just no way he could even consider leaving Dave Warner, say, out of calculations on sort of any leftover cultural issues because, I mean, he averages close to 50 in test cricket and Australia wants to win the Ashes in England. So, you know, no, no matter what, you have to fit him in. Yeah, I mean, particularly after the summer that we've seen, um, you know, Australia hasn't really, with the exception of Travis Head, who fought up against uh, Sri Lanka, there hasn't really been a huge breakthrough performance for the summer. I'm not trying to take away from what Travis Head did against Sri Lanka, but... I think for Warner and uh, Smith to for there even to be consideration of them not getting picked, you know, you would have had to have seen, you know, a Marcus Harris or a Matt Renshaw or some of these guys really nail the summer and you know big hundreds against India and those kinds of things. So that hasn't happened, and it's just become more clear that um, Smith and Warner are the two best players in the country by some margin. Yeah, I wonder how David Warner will be reintegrated into the side and there's been a lot of speculation about his fractured relationships with some of the, the fast bowlers in particular. Uh, I think that's going to be a delicate process and they're probably, I think Lang has alluded to the fact that they've already sort of begun it. Yeah, look, uh, I was, I was uh, told during the Gabba test that there would be a bit of a process probably beginning around now, really, um, in these couple of weeks before the team goes again to, to India. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some meetings going on behind the scenes at the moment. Uh, we're not going to really know too much. I think they're going to keep it as, as uh, hush-hush as they can. But, yeah, look, I think those kind of conversations, just getting, just basically getting people in the same room and getting conversations started, I think uh, I think that process is probably, uh, it, it would have started already, but probably um, going to kick more into gear now over the next uh, next few weeks. Yeah, Langer was obviously snapped during the Sydney test uh, with David Warner having coffee and breakfast. So, yeah, it's underway. Can't wait to have them both back, I have to say, Ben. I, I just, yeah, can't wait to see them batting for Australia again. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a great, great story, I suppose, when we think for the World Cup. Um, them both coming back, but yeah, look, I mean, Steve, it's still a great unknown with Steve Smith, Smith's elbow because until he's out of a brace, it's hard to know exactly what his recovery time is going to be. Um, I think the concern there is uh, with his throwing. Uh, I think, you know, batting-wise, he'll probably be back batting in reasonably quick time after coming out of the brace, but throwing could be a bit of an issue. Um, the story from Crick Info last night suggesting that Australia are looking at the possibility of giving Steve Smith a more gradual 
rehabilitation, which would have him uh, aiming for the Ashes rather than the World Cup. But that's certainly not being confirmed by Cricket Australia. I think they're very much hoping that he will be fine for the World Cup, but it's all a bit of an unknown until uh, until they know when he's going to be back playing. Yep. Now, uh, let, let's try and put into context Australia's 2-0 series win over Sri Lanka. I mean, you can only beat what's in front of you, but this Sri Lankan team was as weak as any international team that's come to Australia in a, a long, long time. It was, but uh, Justin Lang is right. I mean, you can only play against the opposition that you you put up against, um, and Australia did well. So, you know, I, I, look, it's I got, they will know that they can't get too carried away with what's happened against Sri Lanka, but it doesn't mean that they can't get some confidence from it. After a summer without any hundreds, they, they finally have got four of them in the one match. Um, guys like Curtis Patterson and Travis Head have started to look like assured test players. And, um, yeah, obviously the stakes are going to be uh, going to rise once they get to England. But I don't think... It, it, Australia can't do anything about the side they're playing against. They did find themselves three for 28 just quietly uh, on day one in Canberra. So, I mean, that was a worry. Uh, but also, you know, it, it means that Head and uh, Burns' centuries really were um, important and, uh, and, and certified test centuries because if they'd got out uh, early, Australia would have been in all kinds of trouble so yeah look it's it's easy to take away from it but i look at the performances of burns and head in particular and think that they really did have to dig deep for those those runs yeah our colleague uh, robert craddock made a good point before this series that the selectors had to be really careful who they gave the opportunities against sri lanka too because there would be a chance to score big runs so you know both marshes were, were dropped before this series because they might have done well but then would have been in the same situation in the Ashes where they underperformed. So I think it was clever the selectors uh, changed the team for this series. And on the other hand, you look at someone like Marcus Harris, he would probably think that this series was a missed opportunity for him to, to really nail a spot in the Ashes squad. If he'd scored a big ton like a, a head or a Burns, he'd have been hard to ignore. But now... A couple of those dis- dismissals will probably have the selector sort of wondering whether he's the right fit for an Ashes tour. Yeah, look, I think it's probably one of those series where his his failure um, stands out more than the success of the other batsmen, um, to be honest. So it's an interesting one. Look, uh, the other way of looking at it is that he did perform well against better opposition. I mean, he, he didn't go on and make that big hundred that uh, he probably should have at some stage during the summer, but he did, you know, against a very, very good Indian attack. He, he did, he did show a lot. So, look, he's not gone by any means. He has the chance to make runs in field cricket and for Australia. Eh? So, I would still have Marcus Harris more in than out at the moment. But he's probably got a bit more work to do than others after that Sri Lankan series. Yeah, you would sort of think though that. A neat little swap would be Warner for Harris. Keep Burns there. You got the left, right. That might be a neat little swap. But as you say, Harris might fit into the squad somewhere. Yeah, look, it's hard to know what the selectors exactly think about Joe Burns. I mean, he they preferred Harris for the Indian series. Joe Burns came in against Sri Lanka, made a hundred and eighty. But you know whether he's their preferred man at the top of the order, I think remains to be seen. But look, I think Joe Burns has to be in the squad now because uh, not only because he's stood up with big runs, but um, I think as you alluded to during the last test, he, he is versatile. He covers uh, the top order and, you know, at a pinch, he could probably bat him down at six as well. So 
based on how Joe Burns has gone in Shield cricket and also in, in his very limited test opportunity this summer, uh, I think he has to go. But in terms of what the first 11 will look like, no one really knows. Like To be honest, it is way too far away. I mean, there's so many different factors that will come into play between now and then. Not at least the Australia A performances. Uh, uh, just on um, sort of the player of the summer, Pat Cummins is now ranked the second best bowler in the world. I mean, he has just sort of had this meteoric rise now to the top, but he kind of does it in an understated way. I mean, even the way he bowls, it's it's not the, the bouncers and the yorkers of Stark or it's not the express pace of Stain or it's not the, the swing of Anderson. He does it in a very understated clinical manner. Yeah, he does. I mean, he's yeah, he's quite outstanding. I mean, as Kim Payne said, you know, if you were going to pose an argument for Pat Cummins as the best bowler in the world, you might say, um, you know, he does it from the first change position. He doesn't get the new ball. He he sort of seems to make things happen on any kind of surface. So, which makes you wonder why he isn't given the new ball, just to sort of even um, yeah accentuate his uh, his virtues, I suppose. But he. Yeah, he's a terrific player, and you know he 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 he's the sort of um, well. Hopefully, this continues to happen, but he, he's a good barometer for the team, I think, because he's just got a great temperament and, and attitude. And if the other players are feeding off him, then I think Australia's reputation will uh, will gradually be uh, restored. Yeah, and you, you sort of have you know Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, and now Jai Richardson, who looked pretty comfortable at test level. Um, in his debut tests against Sri Lanka. And then you add in your, your Tremaines and your your bowlers just outside the squad. It's going to be a pretty formidable pace attack that we take to England. Yeah, I mean, that's been the strength that Australia's had for some time, which is why it was so alarming that Stark and, um, to a lesser extent, Hazelwood were struggling in a couple of tests against uh, India. But Australia's got, you could definitely argue, the best bowling attack in the world, um, as Michael Vaughan has alluded to in recent days and, and others, that you know, playing in England isn't just about picking your best attack, so to speak. It's, it's about picking the right attack. So that's going to be on the selectors in uh, in England to read the conditions and, and not be afraid to perhaps chop and change to get the, the, the correct skill sets of certain bowlers in. But Pat Cummins will be there for every test if he's fit. Absolutely, Vice-Captain. All right, now let's just have a quick listen to Usman Khawaja and Mitchell Stark after the third day of the test. Now, going into this test, these two players were under a lot of pressure and, and we really heard after their performances the relief in their voice. So let's just have a quick listen. Usman, what did that 100 mean to you today? Uh, it's 100 for Australia, so it meant a lot. Yeah, it wasn't fun getting ducked first innings and then um, feeling like you know you let your team down a little bit at the start because I knew it was going to be hard and then it was really nice to see the other guys get runs but at the same time you knew yeah I knew I sort of missed out on a few runs there too so to get runs back in and set this game up um, hoping for the bowlers to finish it off tomorrow. Had you felt the pressure building up as the summer went on? Not from the outside, um, only from anything I put on myself. I guess just being around and getting lots of starts and stuff during the summer um, was tough. You know, I've had a tough summer and I've had a lot of stuff going on off the field which has made things a lot tougher and it's been really nice to have my wife Rachel around with me the majority of the tours and she's been awesome um, just to have her around and to go and travel with me and she's sort of been my rock throughout the whole thing and cricket sort of it has been frustrating, um, the Indian series, especially losing 2-1. Um, it was a bit better last game because we won but at the same token, you always want to feel like you're contributing and 
that's probably the hardest thing um, throughout the summer, just getting lots of starts and not going on with them. So it was nice to get a start today and go on with it. Has that off-field stuff been getting to you a little bit? Uh, yeah, it's been tough. So, you know, it's something that you don't expect to happen. You think um, my family's very close to me and I'm very close to my family. So at some level, yeah, I think it made it tougher to just go out and try to concentrate and execute my skills. But at the same time, while I was playing with cricket, while I was playing cricket, I sort of, you, know, you sort of forget about everything because you're only concentrating about cricket. But at the same token, it's very taxing. Um, it has been very taxing mentally, and that's why I said Rach has been great. Just being around and trying to take my mind off things, and yeah, feeling a lot better now than I was probably um, a month or two ago. But um, yeah, it's been a tough couple of months off the field. And um, Mitch, gee, you're falling fast, mate. Um, did you did you think those wickets were just you know? Uh, a little bit away that they would come or, or is it something you'd have to work really hard to sort of... Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, I've been working on it a fair bit the last little bit. Had a nice or really good session with Andre Adams before the Sri Lankan series who's obviously at New South Wales and talking to a few people quite close to me who I've worked with over the number of years and sort of putting the rest of the coaching 450 coaches I've had in the last three weeks to the side and going back to what I know best and, and sort of I'm my own best coach and, and knows and know what works for me best. So, yeah, I guess the, the one for me this week was just to run in and try and bowl fast. And I think wickets are a wonderful thing. They, they sort of help everything as well and and sort of found a bit of swing there today as well. So, yeah, look, it, it's been a... I guess the last few weeks haven't gone to plan, but I think much the same as Uzi. It's nice to to see that the work eventually does pay off and, and you stick to it long enough and it's been fantastic to have the backing of everyone in the change room which is I think I'm sure it was you agree it's probably the, the main thing for us is, is it doesn't matter what what's set outside as long as the boys in the room have got your back and um, you're playing a role for them that's, that's the main thing yeah and stop listening everyone that's probably something I've done really well the last four weeks is not worry about I, I think it it probably wore me down a bit heading into New Year's and um, then I got off all the social media and haven't read a paper in four or five weeks. So I think that's been the best thing for me. I feel quite refreshed. And as I said before, as long as I know I've got the back of my, my teammates and, and I'm working hard, it'll change. It will turn eventually if you're doing the right things. That was uh, Usman and Mitchell speaking after the third day. Yeah, Ben, it was really interesting the way they were so upfront with how actually they had been affected by the scrutiny. Yeah, oh, exactly. I mean, it was good to see hear them so open, willing to come in and talk. So, yeah, I mean, you could tell from Usman Khawaja's reaction when he when he made the 100 that uh, it was a real weight off his shoulders. And Mitchell Stark too, you know, he, he admitted actually before, um, before that day's play that, you know, he couldn't be certain of his place uh, in the side. So, yeah, look, I think, you know, that... You know, they copped a bit of criticism, particularly Stark. And, uh, you know, it was impressive the way he responded, even though perhaps on the first day's bowling, it wasn't a whole lot of result for him. But, you know, in hot conditions, he bowled 150 kilometres an hour consistently for the entire day. And that that really takes some, some doing. So Mitchell Stark really, really put in for that match. Not, that's not to say he hadn't in the previous matches, but he, he, there was a real hunger about his performance in Canberra, which uh, which was most impressive. Yeah, and it was interesting that they both discussed how they sort of got through the tough period. Mitchell Stark said he sort of went off social media and uh, spoke to Andre Adams, the bowling coach from New South Wales, and 
and just sort of uh, changed his approach in the last month, tried to shut out all the noise. And Usman said, you know, he brought his wife on tour for the last two matches just to sort of give him a sense of normalcy and, and try and take the pressure off. Just interesting the way they both uh, dealt with the, the stress. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, yeah, I think, you know, Usman's a guy who knows his own game and, and really believes in the way that he approaches it. So I don't think he's a guy who's ever going to change too much. Um, you know, he just, he, he believes in his philosophy for batting and his philosophy for preparing for game. And look, it was definitely tested during the summer. Um, the, the patience was being tested, but, you know, he comes out of it with an eighth test century and an average well intact over uh, over 40. And in this current Australian team, I mean, he's, you know, he has to be in the top order, I think. You add him to Steve Smith and David Warner and you might even see further improvement. Perhaps the um, the pressure of being sort of the sole man this summer, you know, didn't exactly work for him as well as uh, it might have been hoped. Yeah, Robert Craddock was on uh, SEN Radio yesterday talking and he said, look, I know more than I can say, but I, he said, I can tell you the selectors were becoming increasingly frustrated with Kawaja throughout the summer. And they sort of saw his fielding as indicative that he, he, he wasn't quite into the game. So I, I think he really did not save his career, but it was so important for him to, to score those runs in that second innings and just show that he could still do it. Yeah, look, I mean, one thing about Usman Kawaja, we, we were hesitant to, to even touch on during the summer because it was such a sensitive issue. But once he brought it up himself after the last test, I mean, the, the situation with his brother and his family does put um, a bit of context perhaps on Usman Khawaja not quite being himself this summer because, you know, it's hard to imagine being in in, the, in that position uh, that his family's in at the moment. Well, and, I mean, his um, brother's in jail at the moment. So, I mean, that's not going to be easy for anybody. Yeah, so I think he uh, him verbalising that, I mean, that does... Put, put a bit of context around um, the fact that he might not have quite been himself. So, you know, I have sensed that the Australian team have rallied around Kawaja a fair bit. It's not to say that he wasn't under pressure behind the scenes, but I think that they were sort of just willing for him to, to come out of this period and they'll be hoping that, that that's a turning point in that Canberra test. Agree. Now, Benny, um, before I let you go, I just want to discuss an article that you wrote yesterday for the Daily Telegraph naming some Ashes squads. You got... You got all the big fish to give you their Ashes squads. There was a noticeable absence, though. I wasn't asked to give you my Ashes squad. What happened? <laughs> oh, you didn't get the message. I, I was like, yeah, no, I'm sorry, man. As we are, uh, it was quickly put together, and it was, uh, yeah, real, uh, just a bit of a rustle around the Fox troops, and then a couple of us to to make up the numbers. <laughs> I'm only winding up now. You all nominated a seventeen player squad and one thing I noticed with you Crash and Gouldy, Russell Gould from the Herald Sun you all didn't choose a second spinner and I'm just wondering what you think about you know that is one part of the squad that is sort of a bit of a mystery it is yeah look I mean my theory I can't speak for the other two but my theory was that there's no clear second spinner in Australian cricket to choose from so therefore i I just made the decision that what's the point in having one? And basically, my squad, um, I'd have Marnus Lubbershane as, as, your, as your sort of utility man who's really there as an all-rounder, but in the state of an absolute emergency, if Nathan Lyon broke his finger the morning of a test, Lubbershane could uh, could play as a spinner and, and you, you just blood four fast bowlers. But, yeah, I just think, look, the chances of Nathan Lyon getting injured... Uh, 
day or two out from a game is low. And therefore, I think you sort of can, if something did happen to him, I think you probably could get someone over there. And look, even if something did happen to Nathan Lyon, I actually think that there's a fair chance Australia just would go with their strength and pick fast bowlers because I'm just not sure who else you go for. So, look, it's a it's a tricky one. I, I'm sure that they will pick a second spinner and they will have uh, Shield rounds and Australia A games to base that decision on. So these squads are picked six months out and a lot's going to change between now and then. But here and now, I, I couldn't think of another spinner that, that deserved to really make the squad. And, um, you know, I think you'd better serve picking guys that you think you might actually use. Yeah, I, I sort of went through the same thought process as you there, that the only reason you needed a second spinner was if, you know, Nathan Lyon stood on a ball before play like Glenn McGrath did. And then I thought, you know, your ready-made replacement would be Stephen O'Keefe. Solid shield bowler, bowls with all the the test attack or most of it in his shield side and he could hold up an end. But you're right, there's no candidate that, that jumps out. You know, you could go for someone like Lloyd Pope just for the experience, get him over there with the Aussie side. or So, yeah, I agree with you. That's a sort of a, a question that I guess would be answered closer to the time once you see. Look, if you told me right now that Australia needs to take a second spinner, I would... I probably would take someone like Lloyd Pope or probably more, um, you know, Farwood Ahmed or someone who actually has the ability to, I mean, they could completely flop, but they could be a big, big game breaker. But yeah, like closer to the, closer to the date, we might have a few, a few more um, performances to, to gauge on. But at the moment, um, as good as Steve O'Keefe and John Holland are, yeah, I don't think either is sort of really demanding selection at the, at the moment. Yeah, and I guess it is a, a good summer if you're an Aussie cricketer, get yourself a deal either playing for a county or even a, a minor county in England so you're over there and, and know the conditions just in case something happens. Because, I mean, we've seen it before, Mike Whitney and Sean Young playing over there, called in to play a test match. So, yeah, it is worth getting over there and playing some cricket. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a good philosophy and um it may yeah look i think it is going to be quite fluid actually the australian squad i mean i'm not sure when they're going to name an initial squad but justin lang has said they'll be taking in as much of that australia a series as they possibly can so that'll be interesting look the other position that i i was unsure on was the all-rounder position i just you know i'm sure mitchell marsh or or marcus stoinis will get themselves on the tour but as it stands right now i I just went James Pattinson because I thought that at a pinch you could you could play him at seven and Tim Payne at six, and uh, he's just an X factor that could really change a series. But I had him as one of six fast bowlers, and and that probably is over the top. Not sure Australia will take six fast bowlers, but that was my theory that we might as well take a another fast bowler in an area that we're strong in rather than you know taking an all rounder for the sake of doing so. Very funky selection that one. Uh, Benny, I like it. And last one about, the, I guess, the backup keeper. I see it now as a shootout between Matt Wade and Alex Carey. Carey obviously may be the slight favourite, but, I mean, it's just going to be hard to ignore Matthew Wade for much longer if he, if he keeps performing like this. Yeah, I, oh, I think so. But um, I still would have Alex Carey as the favourite to go on the Ashes. I, I think that that's probably more the way they're thinking. Yeah, a few of the experts tossed up Peter Hanscom, which is interesting as a second keeper he doesn't want to keep in red ball cricket i've asked him doesn't want to keep in red ball cricket i know he would probably do it if asked but he doesn't think he could do it if it was his only chance to get on the access tour i reckon he might uh <laughs> you're right <laughs> he might take it but 
Yeah, look, it's um, I, I guess it's a similar theory to Matt Wade, although Matt Wade is a specialist keeper. But um, the theory that again, you're unlikely to need your second keeper uh, unless there is a, a last second injury, uh, and therefore are you better off using that spot to sort of cheat a little bit and bolster up your batting. All right, Benny. Well, thank you so much. I guess next for the Aussies, they go to India for two T20s and five one-day internationals. And I guess when they announce the squad, it'll be a, a really solid indication of who they're thinking for the World Cup. Yeah, I think so. I don't expect it's going to be too different to the last squad that played because they were pretty happy with that, how that team went. Maybe a couple of the fast bowlers uh, who were left out of that series to rest will be going to India. Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark. I uh, have to think that um, at least one, probably both of those guys will, will go to India. So that's probably where the changes are going to come. Some question marks are being asked about Usman Khawaja's position. And I suppose Darcy Short's had a great, great BBL. And Travis Head's obviously come on the last uh, couple of months in test cricket. So there could be one change there in the batting. But uh, I think things will pretty much stay as they are. Well, Ben, I just want to thank you so much for all your terrific uh, appearances and insights throughout the international cricket summer. It's an absolute privilege for me and all the listeners to be able to hear what all your insights. So thanks again. Thanks, Ben. It's, um, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and uh, all the hard work that you put into the podcast. Thank you, Benny, and take care and we'll, we'll speak soon. Cheers, mate. Excellent stuff as always there from Ben Horn. Uh, you can keep up with all his cricket articles at the dailytelegraph.com.au. So coming up in a moment, we have the New South Wales bowling coach, Andre Adams. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you, if you've got a moment, please go on and rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. I'm, I'm still trying to overtake the Park Cricketer podcast, so uh, please help me with that. I actually met and saw the Park Cricketer show during the Canberra test and uh, it was really useful because I was able to differentiate between the three of them now. It was sort of always one homogenous sort of manic depressive figure that was in my mind but now I sort of can tell the difference between the three people that make up the Park Cricketer podcast so very useful. Yeah so if you can go and rate and review the show that would be great and uh, I'll be back after the break with Andre Adams. Is he going to go to the boundary? It'll get pulled in, but he'll come back anyway. Curtis Patterson, the magical moment for the elegant left-hander. is maiden tough. Yeah, I guess it's a, it's another nice milestone. You know, it's I said to a couple of people today. It's I've played that innings in my mind ever since I was a little boy. So uh, it was really nice to get out there today and and I guess make it a reality. Um, well, I guess more importantly, just put the team in a really good position to try and win another test match. Yeah, I've, I've changed. The, you know, there's probably been a fair bit that I've changed from last season, to be honest. Um, probably post the Aussie A trip to India, I just kind of had a bit of self-reflection, just thought about what I need to do to, as you mentioned, to convert those those starts into big scores. Um, you know, a couple of small technical changes, but the main ones have just been I've changed the way that I've trained. I've tried to hit balls for a little bit longer on those training days and, um, you know, just paid a bit more attention to... I guess my, my mental routines and um, what I'm doing when I'm out there in the middle. I think probably previous years I've been guilty of, you know, overthinking it and, and actually changing changing what I'm doing when, when I'm, you know, getting to 50 or 60 when there's, you know, the reality is you don't need to change it. If you're getting to that point doing something, you, you just got to continue and, and, and go for a long time. So, you know, I think it was, yeah, there's obviously been a few different moments, but 
our bowling coach at New South Wales, Andre Adams, just kind of said to me one day at the MCG, he said, you're going to be a successful batter if you've got a decent technique and if you can stay on task and make the right decisions. And I think that pretty much sums up the way I, I view batting and that's you know kind of helped me along the way. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, And that was Curtis Patterson talking after his maiden test century. And he paid tribute to the New South Wales bowling coach, Andre Adams. So joining me now on the podcast is Andre himself. Hi, Andre. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Not only did Curtis mention the fine work you're doing, but also Mitchell Stark. Um, so you're obviously doing some great stuff at New South Wales cricket. But before I ask you about that, I was I was looking at your sort of figures at international cricket. You played one test for the Kiwis and you took six wickets at an average of 17 per wicket. So you never got picked again. Did you upset a selector or something? <laughs> yeah, look, I think um, when, you're, you know, when you're young and you're brash and you've you, you know, got a point to prove, you can say too many things and you can upset too many people. And I think, I think, I think during that period, uh, there was a couple of things that sort of played out against me. One was I got injured in the tour to Pakistan we had a we had a, a tour that followed um our home season and I, I had a stress fracture but didn't actually know that I had a stress fracture and it sort of flared up in Pakistan and I had a scan over there and got sent home um with us with a, a, a pretty severe stress fracture actually and I was looking, looking like I wasn't going to play again so I got fit again uh the following season and uh, as it turns out, we had Jacob Oram, Colin Mills, uh, Matt Mason. We had a number of tall fast bowlers who were performing very well, and uh, I just wasn't tall enough. James Franklin was another one, so so I got told basically I wasn't tall enough, and that uh, you know I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't get a start. So um, it was it's just the way it played out. It was uh, unfortunate. Yeah, I, I had a fair bit to say to the New, the New Zealand coach at the time as well around some communication, um, and I think that's. That's one of the lessons that I've held very dear to my heart is the communication with the players and the honesty that's required. So even though it was a it was an unfortunate situation for me, it actually worked out to be a real positive um, for my coaching career. So I'm really glad I had that that situation play out. So is the lesson there a twofold that as someone who might select team or coach teams, you've got to be upfront with your players. But on, on another sense, as a player, you've got to be careful how you react to those situations. Oh, yeah, look, it's it's about reading the situation. So that's that's a really you know you're right on both on both counts. But really, the you know I, I see myself um, as a coach who you want to be as honest as possible. And so to to be as honest as possible, you've got to have a good relationship with people. So and a good relationship doesn't just mean that you can share a laugh and you can you can be you know you can have fun when it's when it's fun. It's it's all about being able to give them the information they need, whether it's whether they're going to like it or not, and they just have to understand that you actually you're doing what's best for them or what's best for the team, and and that there's yeah there's nothing else to it other than the fact that that's the that's the way it is. So um, to, to to be able to do that, you really need to have a good relationship, and so I think that's you know, that's my first port of call with any with any player is trying to create a relationship, and that takes time and it and it takes um. You know, it takes circumstance and teams provide that circumstance. So how have you uh, found uh, being the bowling coach at New South Wales Cricket? Oh, it's been, mate, it's been awesome. It's been a dream come true, really. I mean, I, I you know, I, I had a, a great experience at Auckland Cricket with uh, the Auckland Aces first off um, as, a, as a brand new coach coming off a, a fairly lengthy playing career. So I got to cut my teeth there, which is really good. And I had, a, I had, an, I had an exceptional high-performance manager and a guy called Paul McKinnon, who's now working for New Zealand hockey, but the, to walk into a, an association, you know, a, a company, a business like 
New South Wales cricket. There's so much pressure. New South Wales Blues are such a rich uh, tradition of, of performance in the Sheffield Shield and winning titles all over the place. So, you know, I, I knew there's a lot of performances. There's a, a lot of performance pressure, number one, and there's a lot of performance pressure on the on the coaches and the staff. So it's not it's not just um, lying with the captain or the coach or the players. It's it's everyone, and it's you know it's the physio, the S and C, the pathway coaches. So that pressure is a wonderful thing um, because it means that there's no shortcuts you can take. You've got to make sure that when you are when you're looking to develop something, it's got a it's got some history. Well, it's got some kind of backing behind it and some um, something that you can fall back on. So, mate, it's been awesome, and you know to have I guess the 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 test lineup, they were there when I got there. So I got to meet those boys and, and got you know, got onto it pretty early with Saki, Hoff, Kamo and, and, and Nathan. Um, they were extremely welcoming and, and as well as the whole New South Wales squad, not just the bowlers but the batters as well. And it's been a wonderful experience so far. Well you've also become the Australian Test side secret weapon. Now uh, Curtis Patterson has struggled for years to convert starts into centuries. It's it's mm. it's been talked about for years and then he said after the, his maiden test century that you told him that if he quite simply stayed on task and made the right decisions, he would start making big scores. So do you want to just explain some of the chats you had with Curtis? Look, I, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's interesting the press. You know, you get you, you make a statement to a player and they, they sort of bring it out and the next thing you know, it's the, you know, it's the gospel. But the reality is, you know, someone like Curtis has had a lot of people working with him. You know, Bo Cass and... and and Phil Jakes put a lot of work into him, and you know Jakes's Jakes's work ethic and understanding of how to bat is you know probably second to none really at the moment in New South Wales. And so, you know, we, we are very fortunate now to have such patience uh, with our batting coaching. And Bo Casson's incredibly uh, compassionate and skillful, and you know he's a wonderful person to work with. So we are we're very fortunate that the whole coaching group we sort of cover for each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses. But ultimately, what I was what I was talking about with with Curtis was um, we're talking about uh, bowlers and batters and and you know he he said well you know do you talk about the, the bowlers because we're talking about bowling to bowlers at the end of the, or the tail enders so to speak um, he said do you talk about them because that's the way you played or that was your experience with them and I said well yeah look I was a I understood that you know I was a tail ender who could give the ball a bit of a, a bit of a whack and and but I. I just couldn't stay on task. You know, I understand now that mentally I was all over the place. And so days when it went really well, I, it was really easy to think really clearly. And days when it went badly, it was, you know, I was like a bag of cats. I was all over the place. So, you know, essentially I said, I think the best batsmen understand how to stay on task. So essentially the difference between bowlers and batters or tail enders and good batters is, is that batters can stay on task no matter, no matter what's thrown in front of them, whether it's the situation of the crowd, uh, the situation of the game, uh, the situation of facing an incredibly fast bowler or a hostile spell or some really rampant spin bowler, their ability to stay on task mentally and face and stay present with what's happening right now is second to none. So that was essentially what we talked about and um, it was summed up in the difference between batters and bowlers is that batters can stay on task for long enough because everyone's got a, a reasonable technique. It must be nice though when you hear a player refer back to the work you've done with them must sort of be very satisfying yeah look i think i think the most satisfying part of, of that is is that it actually meant something to curse and, and, and that's because you just know you, you never know when you speak you never know what they're going to hear it's like your kids you know you say something and then a few weeks later you hear them repeat it whether it was something you want them to repeat or not so you know i try to cheat i try to um treat 
the the players like I treat my children with compassion, um, with patience, and understanding that they're going to hear things when they want to hear them and they're going to hear them in their own time. It's going to take time for development and it's going to take time for any kind of significant improvement. So looking for the the golden bullet is, is, is not helping the player because you are inevitably just um, throwing your expectations on them. So when you hear someone like Curtis say, oh, look, it's just, you know, the ability to stay on task, it means it meant something to him. And that's incredibly um, pleasing because it, it means it's significant for them. So um, if it's something that takes them a long way, that's great. But really, it's it's just another part of the puzzle when you think about all the work that's been done previous to me being there as well as with me being there. Um, if we could all uh, have one thing that he picks up on, you would, you would think that we're, we're having um, success with the player. Yeah, I think in Curtis's case, he sort of alluded to the fact that when he got to 50, he was starting to get a bit ahead of himself and really think about converting it rather than just, you know, facing the next ball. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. And that's what, you know, that's essentially what staying present is. But staying present is, is being able to focus on what's what you can control and that is what's right now. But if you if you think about the fact that you've, you've previously messed up in your 50s and it's become a thing and then, oh, I need to really get through these 50s and get... get get into the 80s and, and I'll be okay, you're not staying and concentrating on what's actually going to help you get there. And that's that's being present right now because the only way to get through to 80 is to face the ball that's right in front of you. So it's it's a natural, it's a really natural progression, I think, for for, for cricketers to, to, to think, what's your goal? And, and the goals are always hundreds, but, you know, how do you score the hundred? And, and they will always say, batters will always say, I've got to make good decisions. Well, how do you make good decisions? You've got to understand how you make the good decision rather than just saying, I've got to make good decisions because players are incredibly good at giving you a, a conditioned response now because they know what to say. They actually understand the terminology, but maybe not the, the, the functional um, method of, of staying present right now and making good decisions. So, you know, there's every time a player gives you an answer to a question, it just helps you unfold sort of a little bit of where they're at mentally, which is obviously the biggest part of it. Well, well sticking on the mental side of things, then Mitchell Stark uh, said after his 10 wickets in the match uh, that you really, and Mitch Johnson, but you really helped him get on track. And it wasn't so much a, a technical thing, he said, but he referred to just getting the feeling back. So so how did you do that and what did you do? Oh, yes. You know, the, the, again, like I've, I, I think, when when you are when you are, you know, like the number one fast bowler or part of the number one fast bowling group in Australia, there's there's an immense amount of pressure on you. So you have you have these own voices in your head, and then you have you know you have a, a huge amount of pressure from the commentators, and you know there's been some well-known commentators jump on the attack, and and whether they're doing it for good or for um, for their own agenda, that that's that's irrelevant. But what happens inevitably is so being able to focus on what you need to focus on becomes incredibly difficult. And, and again, it's a similar thing to Curtis about staying on task. But you know, you need to understand what the task looks like. And when you are blessed with the um, resource that Cricket Australia has, you have a huge amount of information coming your way. So you have bowling coaches and, and analysts and all sorts of stuff trying to help you. They're trying to give you information and they and for the most part they're giving you excellent information the problem is you can only take so much and then understanding what you really need out of that information is the hardest part so all we really did with with Mitch was um, we had a short period and I just asked him 
do you understand how it feels when it, you know when you bowl it well and he said he said yeah I said okay well, let's let's focus on that because it's very easy to focus on that for one ball but understanding that you need to focus on that for long periods is the hardest part it's very very easy to go off task so we just did a couple of little exercises uh, that that made him really aware of the feeling and then I explained why he needed to do that and how it would help him and um, we spent 20 to 30 minutes of, of him bowling and just increasing the pace and just making sure that he, could, he was aware of the feeling. And, you know, when you get to the level that these guys get to, when you start playing test cricket, it's very rarely a technical issue. It becomes normally a timing or a balance issue, and it ends up looking like a technical issue because the end result is, is your timing's out, your balance is out. So it was just about making sure that Mitch's timing was back because it was looking like a technical issue, but it really was just all about him understanding the feel and giving him a thought process that he could he could work with within the game. It's really interesting because I remember when you were announced as the New South Wales bowling coach you said your approach was different to other coaches that you didn't just focus on the technical side of things you also had a really a strong emphasis on the the mental game well that's i think look it's you hear it all the time people say the game is you know 20 percent physical and, and 80 percent mental and, and that that's only that's only relevant or true when you get to the elite level because the physical attributes that people have, they're similar in that people can bowl fast and they can bat well and they're all fit and strong and all that kind of stuff. So what it what it what it is all about is is being able to, to, to outlast and, and 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 I guess stay strong to your mental approach. But what happens is traditionally over over the time when you as soon as you pick a bat up from you know, from five or six, someone's always giving you technical advice. And and when you're bowling, someone's always giving you technical advice. You know, you've got to get your wrist behind the ball, you've got to get that, that left arm up high or you've got to drive that knee through. And so you, you come through your whole career thinking that you fix everything technically. And the reality is that you actually you know, your thoughts become your actions. And so if you're thinking a certain way, then it makes it easier to, to produce certain things. And that's why sledging is so important. You know, we think about sledging as, as part of the game, and it will always be part of the game because sledging is part of every game. And sledging really all it does is it takes you off task mentally because it makes you think about things you don't want to think about. And it stops you from going through your thought process. So essentially, you know, you can sledge yourself because you start walking back to your mark thinking about, these technical things and you all of a sudden end up going off task so i think you know the, the biggest the biggest improvement for for most of these guys uh, at international level will always be the mental aspect because most of them have these technical abilities and, and they adapt over time they change over time but when you look at someone like a justin langer um or damian martin you know mark war steve ward you know technically were they perfect there's no such thing as a perfect technique, but what they had was they had their own ability to stay within their bubble and to and to be really effective at what they do. And how do you get someone to be effective at what they do? They've got to understand how they do it and making sure they can do it as often as possible, regardless of the situation. So, you know, that's that's my focus with most people, um, particularly at the elite level, is is getting them to understand themselves. So, you know, the, the technical aspect is really good when you're in a learning phase in a, in the middle of winter when you've got to fix something that is biomechanically not working which is very rare but throughout the season I, I find that the, the best approach is to get them to understand how they can affect the situation right now mentally. the only thing that i can really relate to what you said there especially for the listeners is if anyone's tried a golf swing you know when you're in your golf swing if you try and think about anything technical you end up hitting the worst shot you've ever hit whereas if you just <laughs> you know relax yeah, yeah. and and just let it happen usually you play better and i guess it sort of seems similar with the, what the work you do with the bowlers 
Yeah, well, and, and so if I asked you a question and I said, well, you know, when you're thinking about the golf swing and you start thinking about something technically, what, what happens here? What do, you, what, do you, what do you feel? You know, you're thinking about, oh, I don't want to hook it, and then you end up hooking it because that's what you're thinking about. Yeah, and, and so there you go. So that's so that's a you know that's a that's a perfect example of of the thought process taking over and and producing exactly what you're thinking about. So that's what you want to be thinking about: what you want to do, not what you don't want to do, or or, or what might happen. And that's the dangerous part of the technical aspect. Sounds like you could fix my golf game as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, now, no, 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 I'm the wrong person to talk about your golf game. I, I, I haven't picked up a club in like, 10 years, and I, I don't think I'll start now. Yes, yeah, frustrating game. Uh, there's been a lot of talk this summer about seam position. How much work do you do with that, with your bowlers, especially the test ones? Oh, look, I... You know, Trent Copeland is probably, you know, he's probably our number one bowler when it comes to seam position and um, accuracy. And, you know, he's an incredible performer. But he has a number of variations that he bowls. Not all of them are seam bolt upright. You know, a lot of them are wobble seam. Um, Sean Abbott's wobble seam. You know, Harry Conway, they they love the wobble seam. And, and it's become something that is, that is um, it's not just trendy, it's effective. And I think part of the problem with um, the history of, of the game is that you have to do things a certain way. You have to hold the ball like this, you have to bowl the ball like this, you have to bowl close to the stumps. But just lately, people are getting away from that. They're bowling wide of the crease and they're using a wobble seam and it's becoming effective. So it certainly is dependent on the surface. I think there's more you know, there's more effective surfaces to, to bowl a wobble seam on. I know uh, Hoff loves the wobble seam. That's um, uh, Josh Hazelwood loves the wobble seam. So does uh, Camo. They, they, they love this wobble seam and, and we have you know, whatever our big boys will do, our state players will follow. So I I don't advocate, or well, I'm not going to profess to know everything about bowling, but whatever makes that person effective, if they want to hold it wobble seam, hold it wobble seam, I don't care. It's got to be their way and their method. So seam bowling is all about the person and what they find is most effective. Yeah, another incredible stat to come out of this summer was that Australia did not get an LBW all summer. <laughs> now, <laughs> well. Yeah. What, like is is that just a, a case of probably uh, bowling the wrong lines? Oh, mate, I, I'd be fairly presumptuous to uh, you know just to profess that I know that. I, I I don't know. I think you'd say that obviously there was a plan to bowl slightly wider to the Indians because they felt like they couldn't they couldn't outpatient um, Australia. That might have worked before. It, it didn't seem to work this summer. When they went straight, they probably got hurt. You know, there would have been. I guess some circumstance involved in that where there would have been some inside edges onto the pads or some referrals not given out that were probably worth a shout. Look, I I, I don't know what the actual reason is, but I, I do know that there was a plan to bowl a little bit wider to the Indians um, and then they decided to bowl a bit shorter. So it's hard to hit the stumps when it's wide or it's short. You know, may, maybe that will change. I, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully they'll, get, they'll need to get some LBWs in England, that's for sure, if they want to regain <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, there will, there will certainly be some LBWs in England, yeah. All right, before I let you go, just a couple of quick questions. Um, Pat Cummins has just had such a phenomenal summer. Uh, you know, he's taking wickets at a record-breaking rate now. What have you seen in him since you started working with him that just gives him that X factor? Oh, look, I, I think everyone saw, you know, Pat's ability from his first ball in South Africa a few years back. And I, I think the major thing here is it, it looks like Pat is fit and is and is able to continue to bowl. And I think that's been, you know, that's, that's everyone's problem with fast bowlers is how do you keep them on the park? You know, the boys are big and strong and fit and they bowl fast and they want to bowl. So keeping Pat on the park, I, I think, is, is probably the number one reason 
reason why he's he's bowling so well. He's he's more experienced. He's not just trying to run in and, and, and thump the pitch as hard as he can. Every ball, you know, he uses his bouncer, he uses horrible seam, and he's incredibly accurate as well as the you know the spells he's bowling are. I, I think um, pretty well controlled by uh, Tim Payne. I think Tim Payne's done an excellent job, particularly with Pat and his use of him this summer. So, you know, I, it's what I really like as a coach is I love to see the cricketers smiling because it means they're having a good time, and when they're having a good time, they're going to learn more. So, I think. You know, Pat has always had a, a huge amount of ability. He's probably not quite bowling as quick as he was when he first made his debut, but geez, he's consistent now, and he and he and he loves bowling. So maybe there's a secret of making him the the vice captain. You know, that also adds a little bit of um, seniority and a bit of responsibility, and maybe he he um, flourishes on that. I haven't had a lot to do with Pat, to be fair. He comes in, gets his gets his work done, and is. A, fantastic member of the squad but we don't get to see him very very much because he's playing for Australia and what about Josh Hazelwood how's he tracking I I actually just sent Josh a message a couple of weeks ago just to just to check um, where he was at I think that's an important role of the state coaches to you know when you get your when you get your Australian players back that you 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 provide that support and that assistance that that they may need and you make sure you align yourself with whatever cricket Australia want because you want them to be able to come back and to be a a, a valuable member and um, at the moment Josh is just waiting to heal I think and there's going to be a couple of things to look at uh, over the next few months um, from a technical aspect but um, Josh has got a proven record of being able to bowl so making sure that whatever changes Cricket Australia want to make um, they'll be They'll be fairly subtle, I imagine, and I'll be, I'll be for Josh's uh, best interest. Well, I totally agree, uh, Andre. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a really interesting discussion. I know uh, the Sheffield Shield campaign kicks off again soon, and you'll be back at it for the Blues, trying to win a spot in the final. Yeah, mate, we can't, can't wait, actually. The, um, the BBL's been fantastic, and we're looking forward to, to that concluding, and hopefully the Sydney Sixers can, uh, can, can pull a great heist off. But, um, but mate, I, you know, look, I, I can't wait to get back into the Shield season. It's, it's, uh, it's dead in my heart. I, I've been following the Sheffield Shields since a young man reading Inside Edge magazine. So um, I'm a bit of a cricket snuff, uh, and, and I, I, I love being uh, involved in it, so um, I can't wait. Excellent. Well, I'll be up in the commentary box for the home New South Wales Sheffield Shield game, so I'll come and say good day and we'll chat again. Fantastic, look forward to it. That's it for another jam-packed Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Thanks so much to Ben Horn and Andre Adams for coming on the show. I've been your host, Andrew Menzel. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered, and we'll be back soon with another episode. 